My latest guest on Karishma Connect tells me that each one of us has our own soundtrack to life and it keeps evolving. Such a beautiful thought. I quite agree, don't you? Tell me your most recent soundtrack for yourself in the comments below because on this Thoughtful Thursday's episode on Karishma Connect, I am talking to Bindu Subramaniam. A vocalist, pianist and songwriter herself, also the co-founder and CEO of Sapa and Sapa in Schools, which is the Subramaniam Academy of Performing Arts in India. She's also the daughter of legendary violinist Dr. L. Subramaniam and she tells me more about having music in her genes, but also making her own version out of it. Her entrepreneurial journey, coming to terms with it, why is music education so important for all of us and what budding musicians can keep in mind when navigating so many avenues that we have today to get discovered. Go check out the episode. Until the next one, I'll see you soon only on Karishma Connect right here, right now, every Sunday and Thursday. Keep tuning in. Ta-da. It's a pleasure to host you and I look forward to knowing your journey from your own words and uh, from your own experience because I think that's what defines one story the best way possible. So thank you and I look forward to this one. Thank you so much for having me, Karishma. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Most welcome. To begin with, Bindu, I start off with this question across all my podcasts and I'll ask you the same. Tell me about how you started. What is special about where you are today and what can people gauge from it? Okay. Um, well, I, I always say that there's nothing particularly special. I had a, I'm a very normal person and I had a very normal childhood because I, I believe that all of our circumstances that make us unique are very normal to us. Yeah. So um, I'm a singer, songwriter, music educator, entrepreneur. And basically I think it's, it's my mission to make, you know, people love music, right? And to make music a meaningful part of, of children's lives particularly. So it's been a bit of a journey for me because um, although I come from a family of musicians and I've been on stage since I was really young, for the longest time, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And uh, that could be because uh, I was a lawyer for Halloween once. And, you know, this whole idea of carrying around a briefcase full of candy seemed like a thing that was worth doing for the rest of my life. And then I started reading John Grisham books. And then I was like, yeah, corporate law, 100 hour weeks. This is this is it, man. This is what I need to do. Um, but then halfway <laughs> through law school, I realized that, that that really wasn't what I was meant to be doing. And there were so many other people who can do it really well. And uh so being the good girl that I am I finished my law degree anyways I did my internships I registered uh and then I was like okay now that now let now my real life starts let me get on with with what I want to do and then my parents of course were like you've done a bachelor's in law you know there's you can't end with a bachelor's in law so you know just do the master's so I did a master's degree in law and then at the same time I was looking at you know, how, how to make my way in music. So I did a master's in songwriting and music business. And uh, I was just kind of looking at different opportunities around music, which was interesting for me because I spent so much time saying that, okay, I'm from a family of musicians, but that doesn't mean that I necessarily need to be a musician. And uh, music education is something that came to me very organically because I really love working with kids. I love seeing the impact that music has on people. And uh, I call myself a very accidental entrepreneur because I'm not a person with an MBA. I'm not a person who comes you know, from, from a family where people are entrepreneurs or I, don't, I didn't even at that time have friends who are entrepreneurs. Like it was just a very random thing. And I, and I feel like it's, it's been quite a journey, but one that I enjoyed. 
And I will ask you this question. Was there any similarity between law and music that you noticed? Well, I'm going to give you the, the politically correct answer here. Um, there is a politically incorrect one, let me be honest. Uh, I think that whatever you study never goes to waste. So, and, and uh, I have what is sometimes very politely uh, in my circle referred to as degree disease. So I have eight degrees. Uh, and I feel like there are connections between everything and you have to, you have to just find them. So the, the very obvious thing is when you study law, you understand intellectual property and copyrights and things like contracts and stuff, which, which is necessary in the creative sphere. Yes. But also I think if you do anything well, it's all about hard work. It's all about dedication. It's all, it's all about broadening her, your horizons. It's all about understanding how the system works and, and learning from it and refining. So I, I think there's a lot to take away. And then tell me about music education. Why is it so important to you, especially in today's times? And also because you have had a connection with the history of music, you've had a family, you come from a family of music. How have you seen this evolve over time? Right. So I come from a place of tremendous privilege, not in terms of, say, necessarily financial wealth or things like that, but I've been fortunate to have been surrounded by so much music and different cultures from around the world from the time that I was a child. So it was very normal for me to kind of uh, interact with, with an African griot musician one day and kind of understand a little bit about where he comes from and then sit with a French harp player or an American jazz musician or a great Carnatic musician or Hindustani musician or a Baal folk musician. And so I think I sort of formed this assumption in my mind that this is normal. Having this sort of global cultural immersion is very normal. And, and that's a big part of what makes us, you know, humans that can interact with each other and understand each other and not be biased against each other. And then at some point I realized that not everyone has access to this experience. And at some point I realized that, you know, uh, everyone, or almost everyone loves music in their own way. And, you know, everyone has a story about, oh yeah, I, I, I sing, but I sing in the shower, or, you know, I listen to music when I'm stressed, or I need music when I'm exercise, exercising, and music is what I need when I come home from work after a day, or when I'm, uh, you know, pumping myself up into something, I need music. And so, so music is, like, everyone has a soundtrack to their lives, right? So how do we, how do we kind of harness the power of music in a meaningful way to help children? And there's so much research that shows that it helps children with, you know, the skills that we measure, such as literacy and numeracy. You know, if you start to sing in many different languages as a child, then you build, you know, it, it kind of, the neural pathways help you build that ability to learn the language later in life. You hear the nuance of language and so on, you know. Uh, for children, it helps with numeracy, it helps with reading skills, it helps with memorization, team building. And, and so there, there are all of those kind of, you know, hardcore ways in which music help you. But there's also softer stuff, right? Like, so if you look at the ISO principle, it says that music can help impact your mood. Yeah. In, and it help change your mood. And that's something that we instinctively know. That's but the ISO principle sort of states that if I want to move from sad to happy, I don't start by listening to a happy song. I start by listening to a sad song. And then I slowly change the mood and my mood changes with it, which I found very interesting. Um, so I think I just sort of started putting these dots together and realizing that we need to create this experience 
for children in order to help them understand themselves and the world around them better. And music is sort of a tool that supports that transformation, whether it's social emotional learning, whether it's growth mindset, whether it's you know self-regulation, whether it's interpersonal skills. So I mean I obviously I think that music is is important in many ways. I don't think it's the only thing in the world that can solve all the world's problems, but it's it's something that means a lot to me and I see the impact that it has on children across the board. And how does that influence today's times because today's times are diametrically different from where we are coming from even so the kind of challenges that i mean the, the other day i saw a video where a content creator spoke about having uh, an a child who you know is dealing with ai friends in the future that's where we are headed basically you know that's what we are talking about and that comes with its own kind of problems and situations and advantages even so how do you think music will then adapt to even that kind of a scenario moving forward? But I mean, I, I don't see the relevance of music diminishing, but I do see my two and a half year old nephew saying, you know, echo, please play wheels on the bus, as opposed to what it was, you know, when my daughter was a child or or when I was a child. So the, the relevance of music and the sort of instinctive ability to relate to music stays the same. Yeah. And I see with very small children, it also helps with self-regulation and communication of ideas. So like I had this game that I uh, played with my daughter and I play it with my nephew now where uh, he, he can kind of come up with different ideas and songs and kind of riff on lyrics, which helps him express what he's going through, right? So if it's like, what is the Agni on the bus saying when you're singing the wheels on the bus song or, or when is there a song for brushing your teeth or is there a song for going to bed? And so there's this kind of way that children nat naturally instinctively get into music. And I saw a lot during the pandemic uh, of how children were isolated right and there were a lot of uh, mental health issues a lot of anxiety issues there's a lot of uncertainty there's a lot of fear and and at that point our, our entire organization all of us at SAPA sort of realized that it you know we moved our goalposts from saying that we are just helping kids we're helping create the next generation of musicians we're working on you know getting kids to sing well and perform well to say that okay how can we be that emotional and social support mechanism that they may not even know that they need, right? So in that sense, even at a very young age, it's about how how does this song make you feel? What are your emotions? How do you express your emotions through this? Or how can music help you form communities, right? A lot of, uh, you know, teenagers tend to bond over music, right? So what is the, how do we use that to talk about what we're going through, talk about what we're feeling? I, I mentor a fabulous young group of songwriters who are, you know, tweens and teens and so for them, music has been a lot of therapy, a lot of connecting with each other. That's a common ground through which you can communicate. And I mean, AI is definitely out there as something that we shouldn't be scared of. I don't think it's going to destroy creative industries. In fact, I think it's going to enhance it in many, many ways. So our social interactions change, but I think having music and other tools help us stay grounded. I mean, there's, there's research now that shows that children uh, for children who have devices early, some of the emotional disconnect happens because they don't make eye contact or that adults around them who are on devices are not making eye contact. And there's so much that they lose because children from a very young age 
learn emotions and emotional signals by mimicking, by seeing. So if you're looking down at a screen or the adult is looking down at the screen, then you're losing that kind of active response mechanism that's happening on faces. So there, there is a lot of scary stuff out there, but if you are say, for example, even for 30 minutes in a group, in a circle, singing a song, then you're creating positive experiences for the child and for the adult as well. So I think there is always space for music to make positive inroads. And then in between all of this, what did what what does music mean to you? Why did you particularly, you know, you might be a third generation musician, you might have had a family of musicians, but there's still something that would have caught on to you specifically. What was that all about? Absolutely. I think music is just, it's my most authentic voice, right? And I, and I say this often, I'm a work in progress, but music has always been a very constant source of helping me relate to myself and the world around me. After having, you know, pursued education and even giving an educative platform to several other people, what do you think, why is it important and why do you think it is still relevant? I think the most important skill that we need to learn is the ability to learn and the ability to love to learn, right? And how to kind of not be set in your ways. It goes back to this whole idea of growth mindset and the fact that we're constantly evolving. So at, at one end of the spectrum, you have you know kids who are so concerned about, am I making the right decision? Is this, you know, once I'm in my you know 11th grade, everything is focused on what I'm going to do after 12th. How do I get into this thing? Because this is the biggest thing in my life and everything after that will be influenced by it. No, your first degree really doesn't matter as much as you think that it does. And in our generation and the generations that come after it, so many of us are evolving, uh, changing career paths, finding new opportunities, doing multiple things. That whole generation of I finish, you know, my BCom or whatever, and then I join Titan and I work there for 40 years and I retire and get a gold watch that's gone, right? I mean, that doesn't exist. So we need to be able to keep evolving. And so as we evolve, we need to be able to learn new things. And formal education is very beneficial because it gives you structures to help you continue to learn. And as you learn that structure itself, then you can go forward and do many other things which are not necessarily what you've learned in your university education. And we still do live in a society where there is a value for the degree and the discipline. And there are always outliers, right? You know, who can goodwill hunting and learn in a library and, and everything. But most of us need some sort of external support to be able to learn yeah. and to be able to learn in a consistent way and to put in the kind of effort that is needed to have, um, to, to have some level of expertise in anything. So I think degrees are still relevant. And I think that they are important and it can sometimes be a cop out to say that, oh, I don't, I don't need to do this. I can do it on my own. But these structures exist because they have served us, uh, but they're not the only thing in life that are important. You've managed to blend entrepreneurship and business with something creative as music. What do you have from that journey that you've learned and how did you manage to do that successfully with Sapa? Tell me about Sapa as well. So, like I said, I'm a very accidental entrepreneur. I wanted to teach music to a few kids. And uh, I thought, you know, what what was it that I was missing with my own childhood music learning experience? And I realized that classical music has always been great. There's never been an issue with classical music. But 
what hasn't necessarily adapted the way that it should is the methodology for classical music or Indian classical music. So how do I make it more accessible to babies? So uh, I created the Sapa Baby textbook, which was, you know, kind of filled with cartoons and fun facts and notes to parents and like all color to kind of like, how do I get three-year-old kids to be excited about Indian classical music? So it started there. And I wasn't thinking about entrepreneurship or anything. I was just like, okay, it would be it would be fun to, to make a book, right? Like who doesn't want to write a book? Just write a book. Uh, and then I realized that it's not that easy to, and we I printed 500 copies, took a loan from my dad when we had like three students. And then I was like, okay, now I need to pay this loan back. How do I, what's the next step? Okay, can I sell this book in stores? Can I do something like Scholastic? So I would go from like, store to store at that point trying to get contacts or you know the the interweb was starting to take off so can I sell these books online and uh you know can I talk to online distributors and you know these these baby portals and stuff like that and then I realized that it was hard and that was also a time where you know most of our music stores were sort of converting into toy stores and bookstores were becoming smaller and so it it may not have been the best time market-wise, but I, I had this conviction that, you know, every time I put this book in the hands of a child, the child's face lights up, they hold on to it, they hug it, they want to take it home with them. So there's something there, so I can't give up. And and so over a period of time that evolved into different things, the Sapa Baby program at our academies, our, our physical locations, and then the Sapa in-schools program started, which is really now kind of our flagship way of making high quality music education a part of every child's life, irrespective of, you know, background, circumstance, geographic location. So we work with some of the best private schools in the country. We also work with government schools and we work in different languages. And so over a period of time, Sapa has evolved from a couple of crazy people who are really passionate about taking music everywhere to to an organization that's actually making a difference. And our first lot of kids who came into us as babies are now out on the world stage performing. They're being featured in Rolling Stone magazine. They're performing at, you know, Tirupati and they're everything in between. So, so it's been a journey. And in terms of entrepreneurship, I don't think I accepted that I was an entrepreneur until I was like six or seven years in and I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, I need to figure this out. And then, uh, a great part of it for me was, was joining the Stanford Seed Transformation Program, where I, for the first time, got to be in a room with other entrepreneurs and, and other, you know, business founders and leaders and decision makers who were not as different from me as I imagined that they'd be. And so many of us were going through similar issues at different scales. Um, and that's really, that, that network has been very powerful and very supportive. Why did you face that struggle at that time? Well, I have always struggled with imposter syndrome and I think I, I still do, right? Like, what if somebody realizes that I actually don't know how to run this business, that I have no, like, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, so I think, I think that's, that's real and I am happy to acknowledge it now, but I think that's where it came from. Like, I, you know, if someone's talking about Philip Kotler for the first five years, I'm like, I don't know who that is. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. What is a balance sheet supposed to look like? But, and, and everything that you're doing is pure heart, right? And you're experimenting in your forest, dumping your way through it. And, and later when you look at, you know, maybe the theory, you'll realize where you made mistakes and you'll realize where you instinctively were on point and, and all of that. But it, it is a journey to realize that, okay, maybe, maybe I do belong here. Maybe this is fine. 
I mean, I'm seeing a bunch of musicians and especially with social media coming up as a platform, there's so much of access today to people, you know, I'm, I'm seeing Instagram creators sing their own music and put it up online, get the hits, get the, you know, the music goes viral. At a time like that, what do you think is important for every music lover or uh, every person that pursues music to keep in mind and stay connected to the reality of the art itself? So I think art is always evolving, right? And there is no point in saying that, okay, this is not right. This is not authentic. This is, it's dilute. It's the, this is the reality of, of the world that we're in, right? And this is, this is the playground that we have. And this is the medium through which we can express ourselves to our audiences. So earlier people used to say that the record labels were the gatekeepers and you wouldn't, you wouldn't have access to audiences or audiences wouldn't have access to you. And now the issue is not access because everyone is out there and anyone can find you, but the issue is discoverability, right? Because if you've got a million artists who are out there, you're, we're still listening to the same four or five artists largely, right? That, that are, that are being made discoverable in the right way. And maybe it's not the record label that's making these decisions. Maybe it's algorithms that's making these decisions. And there are still people behind these algorithms that are kind of working to decide, oh, this looks really cool, let's promote this. So it's, it's um, really important to remember that you can get out there, but it's not always necessarily a 100% democratic process and all of that. There, there are still factors at play. Right. And I think that it's really important for young people, especially to realize that you can't measure your self-worth yeah. by what's happening on social media. And you need to realize that you have uh, a public persona, which you put forth, which can be authentic, which can be all of those things. But you can't measure yourself based on that. And you need to keep some part of yourself for yourself. So it's it's always, especially with very young kids or teenagers and people who are impressionable, something that that is a cause for concern for me because I support them and I want them to have their music out there. I want them to be creating the content that they need to create and want them to do that. But I also want them to realize that their sense of self-worth is separate and still very important. And in terms of skills that they have to build, it's not enough to just be able to sing well or write well. You also need to understand how social media works. You also need to understand the distribution aspect of it. You also need to understand how to collaborate with other people. You need to be presentable. And so these are skills that you need to build. Every, every artist you know, of the coming generation needs to understand how to record themselves a little bit. They need to understand how basic music production works. So the, the skills are expanding. I don't agree when people say that, oh, it's so easy now. You don't, you don't have to be able to sing well. You don't have to do, be able to do this well. You don't have to do, it's, it's a different set of skills. And you need to be good at a number of things to be successful. Yeah. So it's it's not easier. It's not lighter. It is still a lot of hard work like it's always been. But you just need to understand what the framework is. Very true. I remember I interviewed a budding musician a while ago and he said the same thing. He said, you know, you end up thinking it's music and it's, oh, it's just singing. But there's so much science and so much everything else attached to it that goes beyond just the act of singing and putting your voice to it, I think. So... I definitely agree. And then tell me what makes amongst all the types and different forms, which I am sure are equally, uh, you know, valid and relevant, but what do you think 
makes Indian classical music still a cut above the rest or what's special about that? Well, I wouldn't say it's a cut above the rest and I don't mean to be controversial here, but I think that all forms of music are beautiful. Like at Sapa, I started with the point of Indian classical music because I felt that, you know, when we have children, we, we like to kind of associate them with tradition and then they go out and they blossom. From there, I mean, we also teach contemporary music, we teach Western music, we teach global music. In my own journey as an artist, uh, very little of what I've done has been classical, right? I, I think that we should protect, preserve, promote classical music, uh, but I don't think it's the be all and end all. And I think that classical music is also something that needs to evolve and it is evolving and we need to accept and embrace the, the new forms of music that come out there. So in my own personal voice, I consider myself more a singer songwriter, I'm more comfortable in English. And I like to draw from different styles of music that I've learned and experienced. So I don't think there's any style of music that's necessarily the one, but I think that every child should have exposure to traditional art and culture just to be grounded in where we're from and then have exposure to, you know, contemporary and all other types of music. I know you come from a family of music and I don't mean to say this question out of the perspective of, uh, you know, privilege, but what I genuinely try would like to uncover is what are, to the people who don't have access to brilliance, what have you kind of uh, inherited or what is that one learning that you can share that you have got from your parents as brilliant musicians as they are for aspiring musicians? The the one thing that I've learned from my dad and that's I think the thing that I carry forward most is the value of hard work and consistency and just you have to put in that effort there is there is no shortcut to that right and uh, and also I see so much about how people say that okay it's it's in your blood it's genetic and I'm not discounting the fact that talent exists it does right but so much of it is about the efforts that you put in and the exposure that you have yeah. so when we talk about people from musicians families or people from sports families or people from whatever being inherently naturally better I think a lot of it needs to be attributed to the fact that they get exposure and they get the right atmosphere early on so if you look at say uh, the child of a tennis player they will see what tennis looks like at a very high level from a very young age. Yeah. They will have access to the nutrition that they need. They will have access to the food that they, you know, to the exercise regimens that they need. They'll have access to the trainers that they need. So yes, there may be talent and there, is, there are some genetic factors at play, but I think it's really important to realize that early exposure and the right kind of exposure counts for so much. And, and at Sapa, that's, that's really what we believe, that there is no difference. If you give high quality music education to all kids, then it doesn't really matter what background they're from. On that note, thank you so much. <laughs> it's definitely been a conversation about so many different things, which I think would surely be resourceful. And definitely, I think for, you know, whether it's the younger parents, whether it's uh, people, you know, whether it's a 